Good morning. My name is Alex DeRosa. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at New Life, and I am so excited to be able to share with you what God has been doing on my heart. Now, Pastor Chris already welcomed our first-time guests, but at New Life Students, what we do is we give a round of applause to our new uh, first-time guests. So I thought what we could do today is both give an applause to our first-time guests, but also our applause to our New Life kids who are with us and joined us in worship today. So can we do that right now? Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us as we're in this year-long series called Experiencing God Unreserved. And underneath that year-long series, we're in a mini-series called Experiencing Growth, and we're in part three. To just recap, whether you were here last week or you weren't, the first part of this series was talking about explorers, and Pastor Brad did an awesome job explaining to us that God created us, made us with a desire to worship Him. That's how we were formed. We were designed to worship. And so while we're on this earth, before we meet God, we are actively searching for something to fill that void. And if we don't find God, we try to fill it with other religions or people find cults or people worship themselves or their items, but it doesn't fulfill them. It doesn't satisfy them because it's a God-shaped tool. And so when we find him, we can finally be satisfied. And Pastor Brad reminded us that explorers, are not far from God because God is not far from explorers. So we can have confidence for those family members, for those co-workers, for those people at school that we know that don't know Jesus because God is there with them. They just need to call out to him, which is what Pastor Chris talked about the following week, last week, when he talked about believers. He shared with us that growing in Jesus starts. It begins when we trust in God as our Savior and Lord. Savior meaning rescuer from sin and death, and our Lord meaning our owner. And that's how it starts growing with God. We don't just end there. We don't accept him and we stop growing. We become stagnant. We start growing by accepting him as our Savior and Lord. And today we're going to talk about step three, which is being a disciple. And then next week, Pastor Barry is going to end this mini-series by talking about being spirit-led. And you don't want to miss that one. That'd be like if your dad gave you a gift of a membership at Costco. I have a membership at Costco that my dad gave me, which is great. And going shopping without getting the free samples is not living up into all the the benefits of the gift that my dad gave me. And especially when I leave and I don't buy that 99 cent churro, I'm not exactly getting all the benefits out of that Costco membership. And God has given us a benefit of his Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit that brings power and purpose to our lives. So don't miss next week because God has designed us for more, for stuff that helps with his kingdom come to earth. But before we get into that next week with Pastor Barry, we're going to talk about disciples. And in order to speak about this, I wanted to do some research on what it meant to be a disciple. So at first, I always thought that Jesus called people to be his disciples, and that's where that word originated. But actually, in Jewish culture, rabbis, which were the Jewish leader, the religious leader of that time, called people to be disciples all of the time. That was their purpose. They wanted to train up people to replace them. And every kid in Jewish society wanted to be a disciple. It was sought after. It was hard to get. It was hard to attain. But that is what they wanted to do. It was an honorable position to follow a rabbi. And then it was even more honorable to be a rabbi themselves. But it was challenging. You see, for the first 10 years of a Jewish kid's life, they would study and train to know the first five books of the Bible. So that looked something like this. So it's a lot of pages, a lot of words in there. But they would study those over and over, memorizing them so that when they became 10 years old, they would go to a test. 
And at that test, a rabbi would ask them everything that they learned from those first five books of the Bible. They would grill them on everything. And the best of the best of those 10-year-olds would go on to the next phase of training, which was much harder. And for five years, they would learn the rest of the Old Testament. Not just learn it, but memorize it word for word. They would know everything that God spoke into this word, into his Bible. And after those five years, you could then apply to be a disciple. You'd go to a rabbi and you'd ask them if you could follow them. And if they said those magical words of, come, follow me, you were in. But before that, they would grill you on three specific things. First, they would ask you everything about the Old Testament, everything that God wrote. And they would make sure that you knew it backwards and frontwards, that you didn't just read it once or twice or a thousand times, but you could recite it. Then after that, they would ask you questions to see if you lined up with what the rabbi thought and what they believed and how they acted. Because a rabbi's primary thing was they wanted to find someone that could replace them, someone that could be like them, that could do what they did and say what they said. So they would make sure that every one of their nuanced beliefs was the same as this applying disciple. And the third thing is they would make sure that this wannabe disciple knew and loved God, that they had an intimate relationship, that it wasn't just a head knowledge, but it was a heart knowledge too. And they were committed to God. So he would grill them over and over about these three subjects. And then from there, the best of the best would move on to be disciples, the best of the best. So maybe only one or two at a time. And everyone else was told to leave to go back to their families and to apply their family trade. That could be fishing or carpentry or whatever it was. They were told that they were not good enough to be a disciple, that they had to just go back and be with their parents or their family or whatever and get another job. But a disciple would be asked to leave everything, everything, their family, their possessions, their church, their community, their friends, and go and follow that, that rabbi wherever they went. There was even this saying, that a disciple was honored when they were covered in the dust of the rabbi, which meant two things. The first thing is that when that disciple was listening, that they would literally kneel in front of the rabbi as they taught, and in doing so, they were on this dusty, dirty ground so that when they got up, they were covered in dust. It also meant that when they followed the rabbi, they were literally so close as they walked behind the rabbi that on a dusty, dirty road, as that rabbi would kick up dirt, that it would get over all over this disciple. And so people would see that and say, well, that disciple is really close to the rabbi. That disciple follows that rabbi to the letter because of the dust that was caked on him. Because it was, again, not just learning once a week. It was a whole life movement. The best of the best were disciples. And so as I read that, I actually got a little discouraged because I haven't often felt like the best of the best in my life. Most of the time I feel more akin to the worst of the worst. And so as I was reading and thinking of this, I was brought back to a time in college. I was a senior at Geneva College working on a youth ministry degree. And so I felt pretty good about myself and who I was as a spiritual follower of Jesus. I was like getting 
going to school to be a Christian, then I thought I could get paid to be a Christian, basically. So I was pretty puffed up in my heart and in my head. And, and at this time, I was working at Walmart. And after my shift at Walmart, I went directly to this party for the youth ministry department. Everyone from teachers to faculty to other students were all going to be there. So I drove there, and I didn't have time to stop home from a, for a bathing suit. So I just kind of went there with my polos and my khakis on. And I led a small group of freshmen, telling them about my experience, about what I knew, about how the process was going to get a job, because this, again, was my last semester at college, and I was about to be a youth pastor. I was so excited, so I shared that with them, and then I went to have dinner, and I figured I'd eat dinner, because it's a free dinner, and who passes that up? And then I would go home. But as I was eating, I started to see this large, bald man. Now, not large, meaning that he was really out of shape or overweight, but like could play on the Steelers large, like huge, big muscles, real tall, bald head. And I saw him picking up freshmen and throwing them in the pool. Now, because I'm a person, part of me laughed because it's kind of funny when someone is forced into the pool when they don't want to be. And because it wasn't like, here, sir, pick me up in the pool and throw me in the pool. And it was more of like, it's don't, 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 don't. And they would splash into the pool and it was kind of funny. But also... I had this feeling of dread that it might be me. You see, something about me that you might not know is one, I don't like being touched by strangers, really. I just never have. It makes me feel kind of weird. And two, I've never liked being felt, being made to feel small. I I don't know if you know what that means, but I'm a small guy, so a lot of times I got picked on growing up or put in chokeholds or shoved in lockers and stuff. And so I just don't like that feeling. And so in this moment, as I see him throwing freshmen in, I start being covered in this dread of what if that was me? And then I see sophomores getting thrown in and juniors getting thrown in and seniors getting thrown in. And pretty soon I feel this dude's arms go around me to try to pick me up. Now, I'm not very happy at this time. I'm really, really angry because I don't, again, like to be touched. I don't want to be forced in the pool. So I say, and maybe not the nicest way possible, but I'm trying, please don't throw me in the pool. I break out of it with some cool ninjutsu moves, probably not. But then I sit back down. And he says, as most bullies do, they have like this really good bully, deep voice that a bully might have. And he would say, (laughs) yes, you are. And I was like, nope, I'm not. So I grabbed my phone and I start typing on it. I don't know if that was to distract him or just like a nervous twitch, but I was like typing on my phone, like, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. And he grabs my phone and he throws it. Now, I don't know if you know anyone that is 35 or younger, but if you do and they have a phone, you know that's basically part of our souls. And so you don't just grab my soul and throw it on the picnic table. You don't do that. I don't know who you are, Mr. Sir Bald Man, but don't do that. And then he grabs me again. I break out again. I said, don't throw me in that pool. I'm not going in. And he tries to grab me one more time. And I can just feel this anger bubbling up that I could tell that it wasn't going to be good. I had this voice in my head that got smaller and smaller saying, Alex, don't do this, don't do this. And it got shot up by the voice in my head that said, teach this guy a lesson. And so I broke out of it. I turned around and I faced him. I looked up to him because he's really big. And I cocked back my fist and I punched that, that direction, punched. And um, it wasn't the fairest thing I've ever done, but why fight fair if you can't win? And so it dropped him right to his knees, and he let out a yell, as you would, and I said some things to him that even if our New Life kids weren't here, I couldn't repeat, and immediately, I felt terrible. I sat down, embarrassed, ashamed. I started eating my potato salad or whatever it was again, and I tried to pretend that no one saw or heard what just happened, and then a friend leaned over to me, his name is Scott, and he said, Alex, 
that's a new youth ministry professor. <laughs> uh, he's starting tomorrow. Uh, and I realized I had a class with him. And so I got up and I left. I just ran. Like, I didn't want to stay and talk or apologize. I just got out of there. I went home feeling just this dread, this, are you the best of the best? Absolutely not. Worst of the worst. I found his email. I, I, I emailed him and said, please don't fail me. Please don't kick me out of school. I'm really sorry. Well, not so sorry, but please don't throw me in a pool. I'm so sorry. And don't fail me. And he didn't, which was good. I mean, by the grace of God, and he had mercy that I passed his class that semester. But I walked away from that feeling terrible. And it wasn't the first time that I haven't felt the best of the best, and it definitely hasn't been the last time. And so when I look at being a disciple, and it says that the disciples are chosen for being the best of the best, some of me loses hope. Could I really be a disciple of Jesus, who is perfect, the perfect rabbi, the religious teacher that lived on this earth that was 100% God and 100% man? Could I make the cut? And what's really cool is as we read about Jesus, we see that he's different different than all the rabbis that came before him. And he did call disciples to follow him, but he did it in a unique way that only God can. And there's a story about it in Matthew chapter 4 that I'd love to read to you today. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two older other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Before we get into that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for being here today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just descend on this place and you'll help us to just grow closer to you. Help us to take those next steps into being your disciple today. Pray that you won't let any distraction get in the way from the message that you have for us. Help us to be willing to leave this place changed and convicted to be more like you. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Two really cool parts of this scripture that we just read. Two really amazing parts about Jesus. The first thing is that when he calls people, it was so powerful as a rabbi that these disciples got up and they followed him. They literally left their nets and their father behind and they followed him. For a long time, I always thought that was weird. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you like go and pack a bag? Why wouldn't you say like, oh, I gotta go say bye to my mom? And it was because these guys, these disciples that Jesus called were not actively being disciples, right? They weren't following a rabbi. They were, in fact, plying their father's trade. They were working as fishermen. That meant that they weren't actively disciples, which also means that they were not the best of the best, that they had failed out at some point, whether when they were 10 or 15. These Jewish young men were not able to make the cut to follow a human rabbi. So when this rabbi comes, this Jesus as 100% God, Jesus comes and calls them, of course, they leave it all behind and they follow him. They don't have to be the best of the best because Jesus says, hey, I believe in you. Pastor Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago to start this series. He just simply said that God believes in you and he does. Jesus created us in his image. He made us to be like him. That's how we were designed. And so as he's calling people, as he's calling us today to come follow him. He does it with confidence, knowing that we can be like him. He came to die 
for our sins so that we can be washed clean and made into new creations so that we could be like God. We could be like Jesus. And we can even take this one step further. God does believe in us, but Jesus believes in us, or he wouldn't call us to be his disciples. It's really cool to see that when he called the disciples, they didn't just say, you know what? Okay, Jesus, I will follow you. I'll see you on Sunday. I'll, uh, I'll, I'm going to hang out with my family and do my, my work, but I'm going to follow you. But they said, no, I'm going to go right now to be your disciple and make my whole life about that. And C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis is awesome. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a whole bunch of other stuff that is just brilliant. And in the Mere Christianity, he says, every Christian, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. Our job as a Christian, if we've accepted Jesus, if we've taken that step to be a believer, the next step is to become a little Christ, to become like Jesus in every way. And so disciples did that. They left everything to follow, to imitate Jesus, which is our take-home point today. It's the one point that this whole message is all about that it's founded on, is to be a disciple is to imitate Jesus. Jesus. To be a disciple is to be like Jesus with how we speak, with how we live, with how we love. And that's not easy because, again, God is perfect. Jesus is perfect. And when he came, he did some amazing things like dying on the cross for all of our sins, which is a huge thing. He was willing to sacrifice for people. So if we are to follow him, he also asked us as his disciples to sacrifice as well. There's a story of a young man, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 16, who wants to follow Jesus. It's like he's applying to be a disciple of this rabbi, and it's cool because it's recorded, and we're going to read it together today. It says, and this is this young man talking first, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man asked, and Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied, what else must I do? This young man is saying that I memorized it all. I have it down pat in my head. I got it. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't stolen anything. I can be your disciple, right? Like, what's my next step? How can I possibly follow you? Which is what we're asking today. We're, we're doing things that God has asked us to do, but what is next? And Jesus responds. He says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to imitate him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then those magical words of a rabbi, come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, unfortunately, we don't know the name of this young man because he didn't become a disciple. He was given this invitation to follow Jesus, to do amazing things, but instead, he went away. Now, Jesus doesn't tell him to sell all his possessions because Jesus hates possessions or Jesus hates money. That's not what it's about. He simply looks at this young man and says, you love this money more than you love me. And until you're ready to put me above that money, above those things, above those possessions, you can't really imitate me. You can't be my disciple. Until you're willing to leave it behind to follow me, you just aren't ready. Because a disciple, this is important, a disciple gives up all of themselves to Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we can't hold anything back. 
That young man would have known what Deuteronomy 6, 5 said. Those disciples would have known what Deuteronomy 6, 5 says. And it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with everything. You must love the Lord your God with everything that you are. A couple years ago at Rebloom, a pastor, Ryan Paskey, spoke about that verse. And Pastor Chris did a great job of talking about Rebloom. And if you are in 6th or 12th grade, make sure to grab a form today because it's so good. I see students every year making that step from explorer to believer to disciple to spirit-led. God moves in mighty ways there. And this year was no different. In fact, a lot of times I see the students be transformed, but when I heard Deuteronomy 6.5 and what Ryan Paskey said, I was transformed. I just, I couldn't help but think about it, and I wanted to share with you today what he said. He said, in that verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, he's basically asking us three things. He's asking us first, is Jesus important to you? You could probably make a list in your head right now of all the things that are important. Your family, your friends, that TV show you really like to watch, maybe your favorite book, who you like to sit with at lunch, whatever. There's a list of things that are important to you, your car, your favorite toy, whatever it is. Or is Jesus the most important? Meaning that there's an upper tier of things that are important to you, the most important things, and he's clumped in with them. Maybe it's your family, and it's your friends, and it's your job, and it's Jesus. If that was the only things that you could have important, those are the important things. So it's shifting from one of many to one of a few, or God is asking, is Jesus the only important thing? That's really what it's talking about when it's saying all. When we give all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, all of our possessions our allegiances, our affections, all of that over to God, then we're ready to follow him. We're ready to join him in his work. We're ready to live that life as a disciple. We're ready to get out of the boat and follow him. And we've given all to him when he's the only important thing, when there's nothing else that compares to what Jesus means to us. Henry Blackaby in the book, Experiencing God, talks about this, which is what the series is really based on, the Experiencing God book. And he says, when you become a Christian, you are immediately adopted as a child of the heavenly king. The king's business became your business. And now as your savior and Lord, Christ wants to bring your life into the middle of his activity, which offers salvation to every person on earth. This is amazing. God's saying that I want you to stop being about your goals and be about my goals, which is about telling people about Jesus and having their souls saved for eternity. It's about shifting this world into the kingdom of heaven. It's about looking to the next and not just to the now. God is saying that my business is now your business once we join them in relationship. Henry Blackaby makes sure to tell us, though, when, when he's saying this, he's not saying that we should all quit our day jobs and become vocational pastors. He's saying that wherever we are, whether it's school or sports or our friend's house or our family's house or our job or whatever it is, we are supposed to be in the active ministry. We're supposed to have our number one focus about bringing people to know him. And sure, there might be other goals that we have, maybe going up the corporate ladder or maybe getting straight A's or scoring the most goals, whatever. Those aren't bad things. But God is saying that if you want to be my disciple, the most important thing, 
that all those things can fall to the side if the only thing that's accomplished is getting people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if the other stuff happens, great. And if it doesn't, great. Because if people are coming to know Jesus, that is the only important thing. Trip Leitz says it in this way. There are really only two ways to respond to Jesus. And Jesus is calling us to follow him today. There's only two ways. The first way is to deny ourselves and follow him. The second way is to deny him and follow ourselves. The question just remains, who do we think is the better leader? Oftentimes, too many times, I think that I'm the better leader. I have an agenda. I have a list of to-dos. I have my plan. It's all organized out. I know what I want to accomplish, and I want to see that through because I lie to myself and say that I am the better leader. But if we follow Jesus, he's going to dictate what we do. He's going to guide us as we follow him. As we're so closely that we're getting caked with his dust, we'll be able to be led into his ministry to bring people to his kingdom. And in order to do that, in order to be a disciple, there are four things that we have to focus on. The first thing is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all of it. The second thing is to listen and talk to God all of the time. All of the time. The disciples said this easy because they literally walked and talked with him. They got to ask him, what did that parable mean? They got to debrief about things. They got challenged by Jesus and commended by Jesus, and broken down by Jesus. They did all these things because they were with him, and we had the opportunity to do that as well, by praying, by reading in his word, by seeking out wisdom from him, because we can see what he said while he walked on this earth, and we can talk to him daily about what he's doing on this earth. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Chris did an awesome job talking about how important the Bible is for us to read, and if you weren't here, if you were here, and you just want to get reminded, go back and watch that the end of our Mountain Monologue series, we talked about prayer and how powerful that was. It was about four weeks ago. And so if you want to go back and watch that, we can get the most out of our prayer life. But we got to listen and talk to God all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 simply says this, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Another translation will say, pray without ceasing. An explorer might say, God, if you're real, do this or that. A believer might say, God, I really need your help in A, B, and C. A disciple wakes up and starts that prayer life and goes throughout the whole day. While they're in conversations, praying to God. While difficult things are happening, praying to God. While they're about to punch their teacher, praying to God. Throughout all of it, that's what a disciple does. The third thing is go public with your faith. As Jesus was on this earth, we saw him go and tell people about God. He even grabbed his disciples and sent them out two by two to go in different villages and explain God to people about this way to eternal life. And I think that's powerful for us to remember that he sent people out two by two so that when we go into school, we can partner with someone and say, hey, you and me are going to go with this goal to bring people to know Jesus, to bring people to church, to bring people to youth group, to bring people to our heavenly father, not by shoving it down their throats, but by sharing the the love of Jesus by what we say and what we do. Or it's going into work and knowing that someone else there is a believer as well and just being on the same team. Or if we don't have anyone in our family, we don't have anyone in our job, we don't have anyone on our sports team that is a Christian, partnering with someone that's outside of that team or outside of that workplace and asking them to pray for you, to be a prayer warrior for you as you walk into that situation. So we're not going alone because we weren't created to do this life alone. We were created for community. The next thing is to love 
others. This is the fourth one, and it's so important because this is what Jesus was all about. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for the hurting. Philippians 2 talks about the personality of God and how we should imitate that. And Pastor Barry's going to talk a lot about Philippians 2 next week, but I just want to share a quick three verses in it. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He gave up his kingdom to come to us to serve. And so as we go about this life, we must serve others And no, this isn't easy. All of this stuff that we're talking about is not easy, but it is necessary to become like Jesus, to imitate him, to be a disciple. One of the days when the disciples were out on a boat by themselves, it started to storm, and it was nighttime, and the waves were crashing, and the wind was blowing, and they look out, and they start seeing this figure walking towards them. And at first, they get scared and say, this might be a ghost, but pretty soon they realize, no, It's Jesus, and he's walking on water. And Peter, one of those disciples that was a fisherman that was called, stands up and says, Jesus, let me walk to you. And forever, that bothered me. Like, who says that? Like, who just says, you know what? I've been around water my whole life. I've never walked in it, but right now, let's do it. But he says it because he wants to be like his rabbi. He sees his rabbi doing something. He says, I want to imitate you. I want to be just like you. So let me walk on this water. And Jesus says, sure, come on out. It's, it's, the water's fine. And so he walks out. And as he does it, he's literally walking on water for a couple of steps. But then the winds start to rage and howl and the The water's cracking with the waves, and he turns, and he focuses on the the distractions that are happening, and he starts to sink. But Jesus doesn't let him sink. He comes over, and he grabs him, he picks him up, and he puts him on the boat. And as we go through this life, and we start to fall, and we will fall, we will slip, we're not perfect. We'll have times where we're filled with rage, we'll have times where we make those mistakes, whether we want to or we don't. We have to remember that Jesus, that good rabbi, is there to pick us back up. When we get distracted, whether it's by our own sins or just by life being hard, we have to shift that focus right back to Jesus because as long as we're looking at him and we're following him and we're so close to him that we can imitate him, that he's going to strengthen us during all those times in our journey to be disciples. So as we walk this life, we need to take some steps to be like Jesus. And our next step today, the one thing that we can do actively this week to be like Jesus is to do something selfless every day this week in order to look like Jesus. And that could be a couple different things. It could be holding the door open for someone as they're walking behind you. It could be buying coffee for that parent behind you that has three screaming kids and you just know that they just need some kind of kindness. It could be sitting at the lunch table with someone that no one else wants to sit with. It could be a small thing but have a huge impact by the way that we love people. And this week, if we do this every day, selfless acts, we're going to start to look like Jesus, and people are going to start to find out who he is, and we will walk into being his disciples. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for being the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for our sins. I pray that as we go this week that we will be able to live like you. 
We pray this in your son's name. Amen.